Thank you for joining us at Praise Chapel Paramount. We hope you enjoy this message from our Sunday sermon series, Three Days. There are three distinct days to Passion Week, Palm Sunday, Good Friday, and Easter. We're highlighting all three in this mini-series. Also, we'd love to hear what God has done in your life. To share your story, email us at info at pcparamount.org. Again, we hope you enjoy this message. It's good to be together. How many are glad you're in the house of God today? Come on, give God a big praise, and we appreciate all of you. Uh, Today, we just welcome everyone. We're glad you're here. But today, uh, we're on our final message here of the series that we've been doing called Three Days, and we've been talking about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the significance of that. Of course, we just came out of Passion Week a few weeks ago, and so now it's our last message that I believe uh, God wants to help us and just kind of give us some clarity about where we're at and what we can do. And so uh, let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever taken a long trip somewhere? Anybody taken a long car trip or an airplane trip? or How many are planning a trip in the next few months or so? So uh, I've, I've always wanted to go on a, a long train trip. How many have ever taken a train somewhere? All right, we, we got to get together. Tell me, tell me how it is. I've always wanted to go on this train trip. But how many have ever been on a guilt trip? Anybody ever been on a guilt trip? Yeah, I think a lot of us have. And so I want to talk about guilt for a little bit and talk about what we can do with guilt and what we normally deal with, uh, do with guilt and what a lot of people, uh, how they deal with it because we deal with it in different ways. But let me just say this to you, that guilt is really a warning light. I've said this many times before. It's really a warning light that something needs to be fixed in your life. Uh, For instance, if you're driving your car, most of us have that check engine light. Have you ever seen that go off? And and it's telling you you need to get your car maintenance uh, immediately, you know, especially if you get a brand new car and that light goes off, uh, you immediately need to take it into a technician, to a specialist uh, to get it worked on because uh, uh, something's going wrong with your car. But how many know that putting your hand over it is not going to fix it? Or getting duct tape and saying, you know, I'm just going to put a duct tape over it and not ignore it. Act like it's not there. Act like it doesn't exist. You're not going to get anything fixed by ignoring the warning light. And it's the same way with guilt. Guilt is basically a warning light that something in our lives need to be fixed. There are some areas, and like if you're like me, we're not very good mechanics. You need to take it in, like your vehicle, into a specialist. Well, we have a specialist. His name is Jesus, and he can fix you up. And so that's basically what I want to talk about is how do we deal with guilt? Because when the warning light goes off, what most people do is ignore it or they act like it's not there. And what happens, it turns into long-term guilt. And before you know it, you're carrying a bunch of things in your life that you're not supposed to carry. In fact, none of us were designed to carry loads and loads and piles of guilt. And the problem is a lot of people do, and we do our best to try to fix it or avoid it. And we find that that really when you have long-term guilt, what it begins to do in your life, it creates fear. It creates uh, hesitation that someone's going to find out something about you or people are going to find out who you really are. And what happens when we have this guilt, we're even afraid of rejection. We're afraid that maybe someone is going to retaliate. And we're even afraid that God may reject us. We're even afraid that God may reject us because of the guilt 
that we carry. And so when we carry this guilt, what happens, let me just share this with you, is there's a lot of emotional things that happen internally in our life that we don't know what to do with. Now, going back to the cross, the reason why Jesus, how many know why Jesus died on the cross? A lot of people don't really realize why Jesus died on the cross. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. How many have ever heard that? But do you realize that there are benefits to his death? In other words, because Jesus died on the cross, we are the beneficiary. There are things that we benefit. In actual, actuality, if you're a Christian, you should know right away what, what that benefit is, what is done in your life. And so I'm going to talk a few about some of those benefits. I'm also going to talk about what we do with guilt because often what we do with it is the wrong thing. So let me read you a scripture out of the book of Hebrews. Uh, chapter 10, verse number 2 of the Word of God. It says that the people worshiping God had really been purified from their sins. They would, not, uh, they would not feel guilty of sin anymore. And all the sacrifices would stop. As it is, however, the sacrifices serve year after year to remind people of their sin. For the blood of bulls and goats can never take away sin. And then I jump down to verse 10. Because Jesus Christ did what God wanted him to do. We are all purified from sin by the offering that he made of his own body once and for all. So I want to pray today before we dive into this message. Father, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you that your word is true, that your word is powerful, that your word is relevant in 2019, that it applies to our life right now. And God, there are areas today that, Lord, if we just take a self-examination, that if we take an honest look at our hearts today, that, God, you can speak into areas right now. And so I pray today, God, that you would remove every distraction, that we would give you our 100% undivided attention. I pray for the anointing of God as I declare your word. And, Father, that uh, the people would hear the voice behind the voice uh, in Jesus' name. And the people said... Amen and amen. So back during ancient times, what they did in order to cover your sin, most of you know this in the Old Testament, Old Testament they would get animals and they would slaughter them. And the priest for centuries would, would spill the blood of the animal. And the blood of the animal indicated the seriousness of our sin. But it was also a covering. It only act as the band-aid. It could not remove sin, although it could cover the sin, but it would never remove sin, nor the guilt of sin. That's why the death of Jesus Christ on the cross is so powerful. Not only does he remove sin, but he removes the guilt of sin. He removes a guilty conscience. That is one of the greatest benefits that we have that Jesus died on the cross is he removed the guilt by how? By forgiving us, right? Say forgiveness. Forgiveness is so powerful. In fact, one of the first statements that Jesus made when he was nailed to the cross, as he hung on the cross, the first thing that he said in Luke chapter 23 is he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. In other words, he was offering forgiveness before we even asked for it. People were not even requesting it. But Jesus knew that we would, we would be sitting in this building in 2019 needing some forgiveness. Because all of us, let's be honest, are guilty. Am I right? All of us are guilty of sin. The scripture tells us that. 
And so what I want to look at today, just a few things as we get into the message, is what we do with our sin and what actually God wants you to do with our sin and how God can remove our sin or the guilt of sin because what we usually do with our guilt is the wrong thing. Number one, if you're taking some notes, what we usually do with our guilt and the guilt of sin is we try to bury it. Say bury it. And we try to, but how many know... Uh, we've tried to bury things, but they just resurrect like the zombies, right? Uh, not the living dead. It's like that guilt just keeps uh, coming back, and it comes back to haunt you. No matter how much you try to bury it, no matter how much you try to keep it down, it keeps coming back. The dreams, the thoughts, uh, the memories, uh, it comes back and haunts you. No matter how many times you try to bury your past, try to bury your guilt, it just, it just keeps coming back. In fact, David said this in Psalm chapter 32, when I refused to confess my sin, I was what? I was weak and miserable. In other words, when I, when I refused, man, I was weak. And he goes, and I groaned all day long. He said, my strength evaporated like water in the summer. I mean, this is the good description of what you feel when you feel guilty and ashamed, I mean, your strength is evaporating. He said, finally, say finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide them. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me what? And all my guilt was gone. When he finally confessed and stopped trying to hide and bury his sin, David said, my finally, my guilt was gone. But everybody's favorite way to try to bury our guilt is we try to minimize it. What we do is, you know what? It's not that big of a deal. It's not that big. We try to minimize it in our mind so that we won't what? We won't feel bad. And so we say, it's not that big of a deal. If it's not that big of a deal, why did they keep bugging you? Why do you keep talking about it? And so some people, man, we try to minimize it. Then what we try to do is rationalize it. In other words, uh, a lot of people have done it. You know, it's not a big deal. Everybody's doing it. You know, why should I feel guilty? And so we rationalize it. And I, I've said this before. When you rationalize, you tell a bunch of rational lies, right? You're rationalizing to yourself, saying, you know what? And you're trying to convince your mind that you're okay when you know you're in the wrong. And you're arguing with your emotions because that red light or that engine light is on saying you're guilty and we try to minimize it, then we try to do is we try to compromise. We say, well, we lower our standard and say, well, I used to think it's that bad, but it's not that bad anymore. You know, it used to be bad. That stuff used to be bad, but now we live in 2019 and it's not that bad anymore. So we lower our standards and we say sin is not sin anymore. And I reminded of a guy that opened up a fortune cookie and it said this, commit a sin twice and you won't, it won't feel like a sin. Who wrote that? By the 15th murder, it's not as bad as the first murder. I mean, you know, murder is murder. Am I right? Doesn't matter how many times you do it. You may try to say, well, I don't feel that bad, but it's still wrong. In fact, the scripture said this in Proverbs 28, 13. You will never succeed in life, what, if you try to hide your sin. Why don't you post that on your Facebook why don't you tweet that? You know what? Proverbs 28, 13. You will never succeed in life if you try to hide your sin. Because eventually, 
it catches up to you. Eventually, what we try to hide will catch up. How many know whatever you put on the internet never goes away? Uh, that's why I tell, I tell teenagers and kids, I say, be careful what you post, man, because your grandkids are going to see what kind of person you really were like. They're going to see your pictures. They're going to see what you said. And then you're going to be father. First, you're going to be a father or, or mom trying to tell your teenager, don't do this, don't do that. And they're going to say, well, let me see your Facebook. I see you're doing everything that you're telling me not to do. Oh, see, now you're thinking about it. So be careful what you post and what you do today because it will come back and haunt you. Number two, what we try to do with our sin is, or our guilt is we try to blame everybody else for it. We blame others. And it's an honest tactic that we do all the way since the beginning of time. Do you know there were people uh, in the very beginning, the first people on earth in Genesis, if they tried to, uh, let's just take Adam. When Adam was... Uh, confronted by God and said, Adam, did you eat of the forbidden fruit? Adam took it like a man and he blamed his wife. Am I right? He said, it's the woman that you gave me. It's the woman you gave me, God. The reason I did this is because the woman that you created and brought to me, she's the one that brought me the fruit. In Genesis 3, 12, she said, yes, Adam admitted, but it was the woman you gave me who brought me some and I ate it. So, guys, if all else fails, just blame your wife. Just say it's her, you know. But you notice that when he blamed his wife, he wasn't just blaming his wife. He was blaming God. Because he said, God, if you hadn't created her, you know, you and me were okay. But, you know, once, you know, I, you know it, the photocopy is not as good as the original. And so, you know, I'm just kidding, okay? So, in other words, you created her second. And look what happened. You know, she, she messed me up. I'm kidding, guys, all right? And so there, he was literally blaming God for what had happened. And this is what we do. We play the blame game. We blame others for what we've done rather than taking responsibility. And the reason we blame is we try, we're trying to balance our guilt. We're trying to ease our guilt a little bit. And so by blaming other people, that kind of brings balance. And so how do you spell a blame? B-L-A-M-E. Be lame. When you blame, you be lame. That's what's happening. You're being lame, man. It's the truth. Because you're blaming everybody else for what you've done. And not only that, we not only start blaming people. I've seen people blame God. They're actually blaming God. For what they're doing. Look at what it says in Proverbs 19.3. People's own foolishness ruined their lives. But in their, in their mind, they blame the Lord. You're the one that made the dumb decision. You're the one that went the wrong road. But we're blaming God. God, if I, if I had a different job. God, if I had a different family. God, if I had a different husband. You, you chose them. God, if I, if I had a different wife. And we make our own choices, and then we blame God for it. We blame God for all the mistakes that we make. And somehow we're blaming, but you don't take responsibility. Here's the third thing that we do with guilt. And again, these are the wrong things we do. We begin to beat ourselves up. And this is a common thing that people do. A lot of people, when they feel guilty, they beat themselves up. They pile it on. They basically punish themselves. And subconsciously, they're trying to pay for their mistakes. Think about this. We can, we can have this guilty conscience, 
And what happens is, can a guilty conscience make you sick? Actually, it can. Not only spiritually, but a guilty conscience can physically make you feel bad. They did a study and they found that 50% of people in the hospital today could go home tomorrow if they knew how to get rid of their guilt and resentment. Think about that. 50% of our hospital, the reason why people are sick, the reason why they're not feeling well, they have backaches, all these different things that are happening, and they're trying to, you know, put a, a, a pill to prescribe, get a pill prescribed for all that. It's really resentment and guilt that's got a hold of them, and they don't realize that, that basically it's affecting everything about them. See, this is what I've learned, and, and the, the best way today, you just have to realize the reality of the world that we live in. Are you ready for this? And I want you guys to really embrace what I'm going to say to you. We live in an imperfect world. How many know that? With imperfect people who make imperfect decisions. And they affect us. I'm going to say it again. We live in an imperfect world with imperfect people who make imperfect decisions that affect us. And you're one of those people. Now, I'm going to be honest. And see, what happens is we're surprised... When people fail us, we're surprised when things happen in our lives. And you've forgotten that we live in an imperfect world with imperfect people that make imperfect decisions. In fact, David said, man, when I sinned, I felt terrible. He said, man, when I, when I did the wrong thing. So a lot of times we say, is it what, I'm you know, what I eat, does it affect me physically? Of course it does. But it's not what you eat, it's what's eating you that's affecting you today. There's a lot of things that are eating your life right now. What's eating you right now? It's causing you to stress out. It's causing you uh, to have guilt. It, you know what happens when we have guilt? It causes depression. That's why a lot of people fall into depression. They're trying to, it's a form of atonement, and, and they're trying to cover themselves up or get the guilt off, and they get depressed. Can a person who is depressed or a person that has guilt sabotage their success? Yes, they can. In other words, they could be in a season of blessing. God can begin to turn, want to turn things around in their life. God wants to give them favor, but because of guilt of things that they've done in the past, they don't feel they deserve it. Listen to me. There's a lot of people, believe it or not, even in the church today, that say, I don't deserve this blessing in my life. I don't deserve this person in my life. And so what happened is, uh, well, the reason why they say that is because they go, well, people don't know what I've done. People don't know where I've been. And they beat themselves up with the guilt that whatever blessing God wants to give them, whatever favor God wants to give them, because they're beating themselves up for the things that they've done in the past, they're sabotaging the blessing that God wants to give them. Are you with me so far? And because they've never felt like they deserve the blessing or they deserve God's grace, they feel guilty. And so they sabotage the blessing that God wants to give them. Look at what David said in Psalm 38. My guilt has overwhelmed me like it weighs me down because what? I was foolish. I am bent over and bowed down. I am sad all day long. If that's not depression, I don't know what is. 
This guy is depressed. He's sabotaging himself. All day long, I'm feeling guilty. All day long, it's overwhelmed me. He is punishing himself for all the wrong that he's done, and he's sabotaging any kind of blessing that God wants to give him. And if we're not careful, here's what happens. When we punish ourselves, we don't know what the limit is. We don't know when to stop. Enough is not enough. And so what happens, you say, oh, I don't deserve this, so you punish yourself again. And it goes on and on and on. And so you could be punishing yourself for things you did 10 years ago, things you've done five years ago. I'm, I'm going to preach right now. Are you ready? Yeah. Women that have, uh, have had abortion, they're still beating themselves over it. And yet God's forgiven them. God's given them grace. But they want to punish themselves. And so the enough is never enough. And see, I'm here to tell you, Jesus is the one that died on the cross to remove your guilt of sin. Are you with me? See, what does Jesus want us to do with this guilt? I want you to listen to me. Number one is you have to admit it. Turn to someone and just say, just admit it. Just admit it, man. Come on. Just come clean. That, you know, it's the hardest thing to do, even with, as a pastor. Can I just be honest with you? I, when, I, when I try to help people, I say, just tell me the truth and I can help you. And, and they're lying. And I know I can smell a lie from miles away. And they're, they're still lying to me with a straight face. And I'm thinking, I can't help you, man, until you're honest. Until you're honest. Until you come clean and tell me, hey, I've done this. And, um, you know what? Now I can help you. But if they say, well, this and that person did this, you're lying, you're making excuses, you're being lame again, you know, all these different things, and, and I can't help you. And so number one, the first step to being healed, the first step of removing guilt and getting right with God is you have to admit it. You got to stop living in denial. Say denial. Denial is not a river in Egypt either. That's denial, okay? But denial is refusing to admit what we've done wrong. You got you to gotta own it. Turn to someone and say, own it, man. Own it. I don't know why I said man, but just own it, all right? So what, what do people do when they don't want to own it, when they don't want to uh, admit it? What they do is they run from their guilt. And they try to, what first thing that people do is they try to keep themselves busy so they don't have to deal with it. This is why we have people that are workaholics. They constantly work so they won't have to deal with the guilt of things that they've done wrong. And they work. In fact, when they finally go to sleep, they got to have two or three jobs because when they finally go to sleep, their conscience uh, uh, starts to bother them. So they go, oh, I got to get up and start working again. Because they're trying to run from their guilt and trying to keep themselves busy and busy and busy to remove the guilt. But the guilt sticks with you. A lot of times what they do is they move quickly. In other words, man, I've, I've seen this happen in the church where someone done something wrong and immediately go, oh, Pastor, I feel led to, to go to another church. Uh, you're running from something. We got a runner. Here he is. No, I'm just kidding. But... But I, I know a runner when I see one. And they're running. They've done something wrong. And they're, they're feeling guilty. They don't want to get it right. And so they run. They want to run over here, run over there. And you, you can travel. You can go to, to Hawaii. But the problem is, uh, wherever, it go, wherever you go, it goes. Am I right? 
Wherever you are, there you, or wherever you go, there you are. But let me read the scripture to you. Proverbs 20, verse 27. The Lord gave us a mind and a conscience we cannot hide from ourselves. That's why it's so devastating. You can't hide from it because you can't hide from yourself. And so what we do is we, we don't want to admit it, so we're trying to run. We're trying to run and hide, and we don't want to admit it. We don't want to become clean. And here's what the scripture says in 1 John 1, 8. It says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and what? The truth is not in us. So we're trying to rationalize to ourselves. We're trying to hide it. We're trying to blame. And the scripture says, when we claim to be without sin, we're deceiving ourselves. So I want you to write this down. Are you ready for this? To stop defeating myself, I must stop deceiving myself. I'm going to say that again. To stop defeating myself, I must stop deceiving myself. What happens is many times is we keep the reason why we're living in defeat is because we're deceiving ourselves and thinking, I don't have a problem. I don't have an addiction. I don't have an anger issue. And we're pretending. And we have to stop defeating ourselves by stopping to by stopping to deceiving ourselves. So what happens is we're saying, I don't have this issue. And man, everybody could see it. I mean, everybody. But you're deceiving yourself, acting like you don't have a problem. I'm okay. I'm all right. I don't have a drinking problem. I don't have, an, you know, I don't have a drug problem. I don't have an anger problem. I don't have this. I, you know, I don't have a cussing problem. You, you, I mean, you, you cuss so bad you can peel paint off a building. And, and, but no, I don't have a cussing problem. Okay. I'm all right. You're, you're defeating yourself by deceiving yourself. So can I, can I just make a pastoral confession to you? Can you guys ready for this? Might help you. What I try to do, at least every two or three months, I try to take a personal inventory, a moral inventory before God. I say, God, I, I need you to show me some things that maybe I'm deceiving myself and I'm thinking I'm okay, but there may be areas. In fact, I know there are areas. God, I need you to show me. Show me some areas where maybe I've had a wrong attitude. I've had a wrong perspective. I didn't deal with something right. I hurt somebody. And I didn't recognize it. I thought I was right and I was wrong. And I, I didn't get that right with you. So God, show me even in my relationship with my wife. Have I been a good husband or have I been neglecting my wife? I'm not, not spending time with my family. So I take this personal inventory before God. Now, I, if you want to, are you ready for the next level? Next level would be to write it down. See, we could subconsciously say, oh, but there's something that happens when you write down some things that you've done wrong. And then you actually see the word. You've lied. You cheated. And you write it and you go, oh my gosh. And you'll find that that list gets pretty long. Are you hearing me? That list starts getting long. And then you, then you confess it to God and say, God, I need your help. I confess this. I want to make it right. See, when you confess it and you start admitting it, you start getting some healing. Can you say Amen. Lamentation chapter 3 verse 40 says, let us examine our ways and test them. So I recommend that you examine your heart before God and say, God, here they are. Write it down and let God begin to heal that in your life. Number two, are you ready for this? Accept responsibility. Turn to someone and say, be responsible. 
accept responsibility. In other words, don't blame everybody else. Accept that responsibility. You're the guy. That means I'm not going to blame anybody. That means, you know, even if you're, even if 99% it's somebody else's fault and you're only 1% wrong, accept responsibility. And usually it's not that way, but in your mind, I'm only like 1% wrong. She's 99% wrong. Well, accept responsibility for your 1%. You're going you're gonna to realize that down the road, there, there's more resp- you're more at fault than you're saying. So accept responsibility. Let me tell you why you need to accept responsibility for your actions. Because it's very difficult if you don't accept responsibility to develop self-respect or even have respect for others until you start learning to take some responsibility. And I've noticed this about men and women and people that just trying to go along in life and saying, well, I'm okay. And they don't develop self-respect and respect for others because they're not willing to take responsibility for the things that they've done. So they try to minimize it. They try to say it's not that serious. Or they try to make excuses instead of coming clean and admitting it and say, I'll take responsibility There is a man by the name of King David. Most of you probably know the story. But if you're not, I'm going to kind of give you a summary of the story. King David was a tremendous man of God. And of course, if you know the scripture, it says he was a man after God's own heart. He was a tremendous king, anointed. In fact, most of the worship songs that we sing today were written by King David. The book of Psalms, most of it was written by King David. The worship song. He was the worshiper of God. Man, if he could get songwriting rights right now that guy would be rich right now for all the words that we use i mean every most of the all the worship songs have his psalms in it one way or another and so this guy was tremendous but you have to go back and realize that david also had some problems that he had to come clean with and he had a moral a great moral failure when he was the king And the Bible said that one day that he rose up in the afternoon. That's the problem already. You shouldn't be getting up in the afternoon. (laughs) Getting up in the afternoon. He's the king. And instead of being out in battle with his men, he's just kind of walking around on the palace, top of the roof. And the Bible says he looks down and he sees this woman taking a bath. Now, why is she taking a bath on the roof of her house when there are other roofs? You know, that's kind of fishy already. It's kind of shady in my mind, but but we're not going to blame, okay? We're not going to blame. This man getting up, he looks over this king from the top of the roof of his palace, which is higher than everybody. He sees her and he inquires, who is this beautiful woman? And they tell him, well, she is the wife of Uriah, who's out, he's one of the soldiers in the army fighting. So he said, okay, well, bring her over here. I need to talk to her. But we know there's more than talking. That's how it starts. And the Bible says he ends up sleeping with her. Not only that, she gets pregnant. So she sends him a note that says, I'm now pregnant. So in his haste to want not to accept responsibility and not to admit and try to hide, He said, well, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring her husband back from the battlefield. And then he's going to sleep with her. And then he's going to think that that's her baby. Yeah, wait till that baby grows up. Who does that baby look like? But anyway, that's a whole different thing. But here, this is what he's trying to do. And so Uriah is such a man of integrity. He comes back and he says, you know what? 
How could I go sleep with my wife and be at home when there are men that are giving their lives in the battlefield? I will not go home. So King David figures, realizes this guy's not going to go home and be with his wife. So he comes up with another plan. See, one sin leads to another sin. And so basically he sends, gives them a note and says, give this to the general. And this guy doesn't realize he's carrying his own death sentence. And he goes uh, with this note, gives it to the general. And, the gen- and it basically their instructions from King David to say, listen, I want you to take Uriah to the front lines. And when the battle is going on, I want you to withdraw from him. And then, and then when he withdraw from him, let him be killed. And that's exactly what happened. Uriah's in the first, uh, he's up in the front line and he's fighting the battle. He's a faithful man, but they withdraw from him and he gets killed. They send back word to David and say, hey, he's dead. So David said, oh man, I got away with it. How many of you think you can get away with it, but God knows exactly what's happening. And so he got away with it, and then he makes Bathsheba his wife. Oh, yeah, she got pregnant after we got married. You know how that worked with the time frame. But, you know, here it is. And so he's trying to be really clean with the whole thing. But the Bible says there's a prophet by the name of Nathan. And Nathan comes, and he said, listen, I want to share a story with you, David. And David said, go ahead. You're the prophet. You're the man of God. We're here to listen to you. And he said, there was a man that had one little lamb and one little sheep. And he took care of that sheep and slept with that sheep and gave food to that sheep. He only had the one lamb. And there was another rich man that had a lot of lambs. And man, he had multiple lambs. But one day he had some people come over and they wanted to eat. And said, instead of slaughtering one of his many lambs, he slaughtered and took the little lamb from that man and killed that lamb. And David was raging mad. David was upset. He goes, who is this man? We will kill him today. And Nathan said, you're the man. You had all this stuff. And you took that man's little lamb. You committed adultery. And here's what I like about David. He accepted responsibility that day. And he says, I'm the dude. I did it. I've done wrong before God. Do you see what I'm saying? He took responsibility for the wrong. And we know this was a heavy sin. And we know there was a price to be paid for what he did wrong. But thank God, someone took responsibility. And this is what it says in Psalm 51. We hear the confession right here. He says, I recognize my faults and I'm conscious of my sin. David's not blaming Bathsheba for taking a bath on the roof. He's not blaming Nathan for exposing him. He's not blaming anybody. He's not mad at the church because they're talking about guilt and sin. Are you with me? He says, man, I recognize my fault and I'm conscious of my sin. I'll read it in the ERV version. You know what ERV means? Easy to read version. I, that's what I read all the time. I know I have done wrong. I remember that sin all the time. So what is the best way to ensure that you've accepted responsibility? The best way, friend, I'm telling you, is to admit it and take responsibility. Now, I'm going to take this a little bit even to a greater level, a greater level that some of you may not like. What happens is when we confess our sin, when, when we confess our sin before God, how many know God will forgive you? 
But I've seen a lot of Christians, even though they've confessed their sin and, and they've received the forgiveness of God, they still deal with things and it still, it still seems like things are still bothering them. That, you know, there's some things in their life. It could be this dirty, dark secret that they just can't get through. And what, they, what they're dealing with, is even emotionally, they're saying, man, I know that God's forgiving me. But why does it seem like it's still there and I can't seem to be healed from all of these feelings and all these emotions because I'm going to read something to you that will bring healing to your soul. James chapter 5 verse 16. Admit your faults one to another. It doesn't say admit your faults to God. It says one to another. And pray for each other so that you may be healed. See, many of you have confessed your sins to God, yet you still feel guilty because you haven't taken the next step. And that means confessing your sin to someone else so that your soul can be healed and your emotions and things in your life need to be healed. There are some things in our life that we need to confess to someone else. And I know they're not God. I know that. They're not going to, they're not going to, but what happens is they're there to pray with you. They're there today to help you. And there's something in that, listen to me, there's a healing that takes place when you confess. I'm not talking about tweeting it or putting it on Facebook, okay? That's not, don't do that. I don't recommend that. But what I'm saying to you is finding someone that is a confidant that you can trust in. And when you confess that sin, the Bible says, you will be healed. I read this quote, revealing your feeling is the beginning of healing. Hallelujah. And so I believe that when we reveal that and say, you know what, there's a lot of people, the reason why they have this ache, again, something's eating them, this, these faults, this stuff that they've done in the past, and really it has to do relational things that maybe they did, and they don't realize, yes, I've confessed it to God, I prayed for God to forgive me, he has, but friend, maybe you need to confess to somebody else and receive some prayer. And say, you know what, there's some things in my life that I've done that I need to confess and ask God to heal. And you'll be surprised. Listen, as a pastor, I love you. I care about you. But I'm telling you, when, when we take that mask off and we're willing to confess it not only to God, but to someone else, I've seen God do supernatural healing in people's lives. That's why small groups are important. That's why intimate friendships are important. And this is where people like to steer away from this stuff because they don't want to come clean. And friend, you're, and you're wondering why you're not completely healed. You're wondering why there's some emotional issues in your life. Because you've not found someone to confess some things in your life. And say, you know what? I've got some things I really need. The third thing that God wants us to do with our guilt is ask for forgiveness. Say forgiveness. Again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to show you this last step in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. I quoted it earlier. It said, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, what? To forgive us and our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Another version says, if we freely admit that we have sinned, we find God utterly reliable. In other words, he's faithful. He forgives your sins. And makes us thoroughly clean from all that is evil. So if we confess our sin to God, he's not going to be utterly mad. He's not going to be utterly upset. He's not going to be utterly angry with you. He's going to be utterly gracious and forgiving. 
I said, he is going to forgive you of your sins today. That's the power of God. Now, let me just say this to you, that when you confess your sin to God, you don't have to bargain with God. God, if I do, if I do this, will you do that? All you have to do is just be honest with God. You don't have to shout and say, God, and the louder you shout, the more forgiveness you get. I'm not saying don't shout. I'm just saying the louder you are, it doesn't make it more spiritual. You don't have to beg God. God will immediately forgive you. Can you say amen? In fact, the Bible says in Romans 3.23, it says, all of us have sinned, and yet God declares us not guilty if we trust in Jesus Christ, who in mercy freely takes away all of our sin. He will freely take them away. I'm going to say this to you, and I just heard this yesterday. Forgiveness is the antibiotic for the infection of my soul. You're looking for that antibiotic of sin and guilt in your life. That's where you say, God, forgive me. And we need to realize today that we don't need to minimize it. Because, see, the devil likes to, here's what the devil does with our sin. This is what the devil, he tells you first, before you commit the sin, he tells you, it's no big deal. Don't worry about it. Oh, man, go ahead. It's okay. And then, so he minimizes it. And then after you sin, what did the devil say? I can't believe you did that. He maximizes it, right? I can't. What, what are you doing in church anyway? You're such a hypocrite. And he tears you down, doesn't he? And he begins to tell you how bad you are. And see, I want you to realize today, no matter how bad it is, whatever you've done, we serve a God that will instantly forgive you. Can you say amen? He instantly forgives you and he completely forgives you. That's the power and the grace of forgiveness today. So whatever you're guilty of, whatever sin you have in your life, we serve a God that will instantly and completely forgive you. And guess what? He will repeatedly forgive you. Because how many know we need repeated forgiveness? I mean, he does. He will repeatedly. The Bible says he, he's our intercessor and he completely forgives. And God freely does it. In other words, the price has already been paid. Jesus Christ paid the price on the cross. You don't have to pay it over and over again. So receive God's forgiveness from any guilt, from any wrong. I'll tell you today, I've seen people walk into this church who were guilty of so many things, vicious things that some of you would say, how? And yet today they walk in complete freedom. Things that they've done, things that they committed, uh, dumb decisions that they made. Uh, and man, most people would ever, would just be ashamed of. And yet to see them walking in the power and the grace of God and realizing God's forgiveness, testimony after testimony. Now maybe you're a person with a halo. Thank God for you. Amen. But you're still guilty of sin. You're still, all of us are. You say, well, I'm not that bad. We're still good. The Bible says we all have sin. All of us. So maybe your sin may not be what they did, but you still have sin in your life. And you still need God in your life. Hey, thanks for listening to this week's message from Praise Chapel Paramount. If you want to stay connected, follow us online with Facebook and Instagram at PC Paramount. Or visit our website at praisechapelparamount.com.